us today as we wrap up our series on hermeneutics is the founder and president of Striving for Eternity and the first ever returning guest on the Do Theology Podcast. Isn't that amazing? Andrew Rappaport, welcome back to Do Theology. I saw what you did there, wrap up. I, I got it. I got it. Wrap, <laughs> it report, wrap up. I got the wrap report. I, I see what you did there. That nice, nice play. Nice play. I do what I can, sometimes even by accident. <laughs> you must be a preacher and like to literate and stuff. But thank you for having me. It's, it's good to be the, uh, a returning guest, even. The very first one. Yeah. Yeah. The only one willing. <laughs> <laughs> well, see, I, 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 was, I, I was joking with you. I thought what it is is as you've been doing this series that you've just gotten better and better speakers. Uh, but um, I, I've also listened to your other guests and realized, no, you probably just, instead of saving the best for last, you decided to get the best first and then end with the worst. <laughs> <laughs> we'll let the listener decide. Yeah, that's a good idea. Very good. Well, this is... This has been a, a fun series for us. It's been very helpful, I think, just even on a personal level, just working through these things and uh, thinking intentionally about these things and reading just different sources and different approaches to things and even interacting with our listeners. That's That's been enjoyable and beneficial, at least for me. If nobody else, I've been enjoying it and I've been benefiting from it. So uh, we've been very grateful for that. Uh, today, we want to kind of shift the direction of the conversation more to some practical matters. So we've talked, spent a lot of time talking about things on a uh, kind of a high level, uh, philosophy based level of, of how we're approaching the issue of hermeneutics. And sometimes we can get so ethereal with all this stuff and the philosophy behind all these things that uh, it, the question needs to be raised okay, well, how does this actually impact? practical issues. How does this, how, how do we bring this down now to street level and begin to interact it on a practical level? And so that's the conversation that we're hoping to have today, talking about things on a practical level. And to kick things off... Hopefully uh, we're not going to be talking at that speed the whole time, Ken. My goodness. Hey. You don't even drink can, coffee. I don't know. I don't know how you got to talking that fast today. People can slow it down in their app if they, if they feel uh, yeah, that it's having a, a trouble. I just, just click that little... <laughs> like an auctioneer over there point, today, Ken. Point seventy-five <laughs> speed button there. Five dollars. So I have six. <laughs> <laughs> well... You had a busy day today. He's just trying to help you out. That's I it. Guess. That's it. Should have helped me out before we started recording. <laughs> Coming back to this practical <laughs> issue, there's no segues away from that. We're coming right. We want to ask this question uh, to, to Andrew here. From a pastoral perspective, we're talking about issues of hermeneutics. From a pastoral perspective, why is it important that all Christians have a good grasp on sound hermeneutical principles? So basically, you want to fastball from that conversation right into this. Okay. So the, the, way, the, the reason it is important is if you don't have your hermeneutics right, you're not going to get anything else right. I mean, it really is a thing where a lot of people focus on theology. We got to get our theology right. We have to make sure that we're right in a theological system. How do you know this theological system is correct? That takes you back to hermeneutics. And so, so, so many people want to skip the step of hermeneutics and jump right into theology. But if you don't do hermeneutics right, then you're really not sure you're doing theology right. Because one of the things, here's the biggest problem I see, you know, I don't know what you guys think about this, but 
I find the biggest problem with hermeneutics is that most people interpret the passage of Scripture based on the theological system rather than their theological system being interpreted by the Scripture. It's a cart before the horse situation. I think so. And, and, and so that's why I think it's so important to make sure we're following the rules. Now, I mean, would you say one of the challenges with that is there are many people in our churches, I mean, of course, in the culture at large, but definitely Christians too. There are many people who just want to be told what to believe, who want to find a denomination they're comfortable with or a church they're comfortable with and just be told what to believe. Don't you think that's a, a, a big part of the problem? Well, isn't that so much easier, right? I mean, don't, don't, we, don't we gravitate toward what's easy? I mean, if you mm. think about it. It, it, you know, when you get into counseling things, people will prefer either liberality or legalism, right? Because liberality says, hey, we're Christians, we can do whatever we want. L you know, legalism says, no, we got a list of do's and don'ts. But the truth is, it's in the middle where you got to actually reason through the scriptures. Hmm. And people are lazy. They don't want to reason through the scriptures. So I think you make a really good point. What's your, what's your pastoral tactic with uh, motivating people to study for themselves? You know, you think of the Second Timothy... Uh, 2.15 verse, the Awana verse. <laughs> uh, be diligent to show yourself approved, to rightly divide the word of truth. Um, how, do, how do we as pastors go about motivating the people to understand that that's their duty? And from the perspective of a, a congregant, uh, where should they find their motivation in studying for themselves when they feel so insufficient in and of themselves so often? Well, I'm very intentional about teaching hermeneutics. And I, I think I realized, I listened to John MacArthur for many years and started to realize what he does. I remember him explaining, you know, he uses the Old Testament to interpret or to illustrate the New Testament so that you're still getting Bible. Instead of giving some illustrations from the world, he's using the Bible. That's intentional because it allows him to then explain and give the history and the, and the interpretation of an Old Testament passage he's not preaching, but he's still using that to illustrate. And I realized he's actually teaching people how to study, how to compare Scripture with Scripture. And I started to realize that I can be just as intentional. So every message I preach, I am teaching hermeneutics. Now, it's not always explicit. I mean, there are times where I'll say, well, you, when you ask, what's the therefore, therefore, mm, when you right. mention that here's a, the word, but that's contrasted. What are we doing when we're explaining that? We're actually explaining how to interpret. I'll come to passages and say, well, the thing we, we come to this passage, um, I'm preaching through Mark right now. There's a lot of historical things. What were the disciples thinking when they asked this question or this is happening? Instead of just interpreting this is what's going on, getting into getting people to start thinking what is happening in this what's culturally happening what's what's this text about and I'll, I'll sometimes ask it as a question there's times where i'll be explicit with it but there's times where i'm just giving all this cultural history and you know people start to realize oh wait i never thought about that i, I get that a lot from from books we just got done uh, i just got done preaching through uh the basically the the establishing of the lord's supper well, what did i do I said, well, this wasn't something that just happened the way we do it in church. This is part of a Passover Seder. So I go back and work through what does a Passover Seder look like? When is it that Jesus is breaking the bread and, and offering the wine? It's very significant 
when you look at the Passover Seder, what he's saying when he's saying it, why is it that Judas walks away and everybody thinks highly of Judas? Because Judas walked away at the time of a ceremony when they would have been going out to give to the poor if they had forgotten to do so. So no one questioned Judas. They actually think he's doing a good thing, mm-hmm. right? That adds to the understanding of the text. And when people get that, they suddenly go, oh, oh, wow, I never saw that before. And it's not because I'm saying something new and unusual. It's that I, what I want to do is I want them, and this is my goal in preaching, it is that 10 years from now, someone opens their Bible doing their devotions, and they go, I understand what this text means. Not, I remember what Andrew said about it, right? I want them to walk away in their private devotions and be able to know, I know how this, what this text means because I've, I've studied it or you know, the fact that they, they, we've worked through it together. And, and I know, Jeremy, you've seen some of my, my teaching on, on First Peter, right? What do I do there? I try to give all the different ways that this could be interpreted and why I come to the conclusion that, of the one that I have, hmm. right? So they reason through it on their own. If I do it well, I, I don't do it as well as MacArthur, but one of the things I realized with MacArthur is I would sit there and I, th- I thought, you know, man, John MacArthur always agrees with me. But it actually isn't that. What it is is John MacArthur walks you through a passage and your thinking process is thinking faster than he's speaking. So what ends up happening is as he's saying, you're, you're going, no, that's not right for this reason. Then he'll say, well, it's not right for this reason. It's like, wow, that's just what I was thinking. Hmm. And then when he comes to the conclusion, you've already got there, but he actually led you there and you didn't even notice it. Hmm. That's something that's uh, one of my homiletics professors always talked about when preaching, just some of the the subtle things that you can do to help show people that this is like the, the answers to our questions are in the text if we're willing to look and dig for it. Uh, but he would always talk about how when he would propose just kind of a question, a rhetorical question to the audience, and then he would look down at his Bible. And one of this, one of the things that he would do is he would put his finger on it and say, it says right here, and then he would read it. And it was just a subtle thing, but he's showing people that the answers to the questions that the interpretive questions that we have, they've got to be found in the text. And if we're not finding them there, we're looking in the wrong places. Correct. So if one of your church members asked you, you know what, I I come here, I like your teaching, I think you're solid uh, on Sunday, Wednesday, whatever, I'm getting fed. Um, You know what, I I couldn't do as good of a job as you, so what's the point of me learning to do some of this for myself when I can just keep coming here and, and getting the instruction from you? How would you help motivate just a regular average lay person to do hermeneutics for himself or herself? Well, I have a couple ways. And, and actually, I, I have some some guys in the church right now, <clears throat> as I'm working through, going to get to the uh, betrayal of Judas uh, next week. Uh, but before I do that, I'm actually going to be going through a whole study on Judas. So I gave a couple of guys, I gave all the texts on Judas in Scripture. And I said, here's what I want you guys to do. Study through these passages think through what characteristics we have of Judas, see what's going on in these. Now, what is that doing? They're studying this. And I I encourage our congregation to be, the reason I go verse by verse, they know what passage I'm going to deal with next week. And I encourage them to be reading through it, studying through it, because they're going to have a lot more questions afterwards and a lot more things they're going to gleam from their own study that when I say things, it's going to be like, oh yeah, you know, I noticed that too. And so I encourage them to be studying along. I teach them how to interpret And then what I want to do is I want them actually practicing that each week. I want them to be studying. So they should be able to say, Andrew, I can do this, what you're doing. 
Yes, you can. That's my whole thing. It, it, the only difference between me and them is the number of hours I put to it. But they're capable of doing exactly what I do. There's nothing special about the pastor that only he can interpret scripture. We're not Roman Catholic here. And so the reality is I want them doing that. And I encourage it. I actually give, so I've given a couple of the guys, here's some stuff on Judas. I want you studying this out. When I get to that passage on Judas, they're going to see some of the same things that I'm saying. They're going to go, I saw that in my study. That is going to help them far more when, when they build that practice. And I do have guys in our church who, who know what I'm going to be preaching the next week, and they're studying along with me, maybe not as many hours, but to me, that's a great blessing, knowing that, because there's, there's an extra thing with it. What if I say something wrong? I, I have people in our congregation, and, and I've, I did this recently, where I said something that was, wasn't in my notes, it wasn't planned, and I referenced the... Uh, 30 pieces of silver that with Judas that he got with the 20 pieces of silver that Joseph was sold for. And in my head, I thought Joseph was sold for the same 30 pieces. I was wrong. Mm. But because someone had been studying it out, she came up to me and she was like, Hey, you mentioned 30 pieces. But when, when I was, you know, I ended up going back because I didn't think that when I was looking at this. And I, so next week I'd say I, I had to make a correction. It's good to be humbled by good students. <laughs> uh, what ways do you think God holds non-pastors accountable? Christians, children of God, who are not pastors, they're not teachers, they're not held to that stricter judgment as teachers are that James talks about, but in what sense are they accountable for the way they handle the Word of God? Well, I think we're all accountable to God, whether we're teaching or not, because how we handle the Word of God is going to affect how we practice and so if we're not handling it right, then we may not be practicing it right. Now, notice I said may not be, okay, because you still may practice correctly even though you're misinterpreting Scripture. Hmm. But if you're misinterpreting Scripture, the question becomes how do I know my practice is going to be right? How do I know the Bible says what, it's, what, I, what I'm saying it says or what I think it says? So even if I'm not teaching it, I want to be accurate. I mean, what, what's our goal as Christians? Our goal is, and this is going to shock some people, but not for you guys, I'm sure, because you do theology here, but our goal as Christians is to do theology. We're to be theologians. People go, no, 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 no. That's just for the Ivy Leaguers. No. If you love God, you want to study God. That's what theology means. It's the study of God. You know, I still study my wife. I'm still trying to learn as much as I can. Why? Because I love her. I keep wanting to learn more and more details about what makes her happy, what, what makes her think. And, you know, even after all these years, same thing with God, but God is far more harder to, to grasp and understand. Mm -hmm. As Christians, this should be what defines us is the study of God. But So if I'm going to study my wife, and I think that my wife, because so many other women like to get roses, and I think that what I need to do is get my wife roses. And that's how I'm going to interpret it, because everything in the culture says that. I'm not really doing a good job with my wife. You know why? She doesn't like roses. She likes other flowers. And if I get her roses, I'm not studying her. What am I doing to that relationship? I'm not improving it. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to study the Bible and not be accurate with it, then I'm not drawing closer to God. I'm just having this side relationship. And is that how we should be as Christians? 
Yeah, it's a really good point. And it, that kind of ties in with, with a question I had going back to what you're saying about how, okay, you know, showing that the people in the pew, they can do what you can do, right? Like they can study the text and they can work through it and they can uh, go through the process of, of hermeneutics and studying and all these things. How do you keep the balance in place of, okay, encouraging that and, and directing people to their own personal study of God's word, but then also not letting the pendulum swing so far one direction where it says, oh, so I can do that. Therefore, I don't need my pastor. I don't need my church. It's just me, my Bible and the Holy Spirit. And that is enough for me. Well, if I had that attitude, I would have still thought that there were 30 pieces of silver with yeah. <laughs> with uh, Joseph, right? I mean, we, we need the correction. In fact, I'll, I'll tell you, I'll, I'll give you another example. And, and we'll probably, I'm probably, I have an article written that I may put on karm.org instead of striving for attorney.org, just because it's more fitting with, with Matt's site. But I had a, a, harmony, a harmony of the Gospels. And for, for people that may not know what that is, is basically books where they try to harmonize all the Gospel accounts together. And the particular one that I used basically put the the washing of the feet of Jesus or the head of Jesus with the washing of the feet of Jesus with the with the perfume. And, and the these harmonies, just for clarification, these are timeline harmonies. They're harmonizing on a timeline. Correct. Trying to figure out, okay, this ha- this event in Mark corresponds to this event in Luke, to John, and so forth. And what I ended up doing was the 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 they harmonized the one woman who's pouring the oil on the head of Jesus, and the disciples are upset because the 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 or the perfume because of the expense of the perfume. They harmonized that with the with John twelve account of Mary pouring perfume on his feet. Now you look at that. There's a lot of similarities if you read through those accounts. But here's the dilemma: when you end up, what I made the mistake of doing is looking at what the harmony said. I didn't read the verse before. The verse before said that in the John account, it was six days before the Passover. The Mark and Luke account both said it was two days before the Passover. Well, that seems like a contradiction. I went through and looked at all the the Greek works to see, is there a textual variant here? I looked at the Bible difficulties to see whether there was something. No one addressed it. The reason no one addressed it is because it was an error in the harmony of the gospel. Because when you actually look, the, the John account, the very next verse ends up saying, that it's the next day was the the the, the triumphal right. entry, and so it's two accounts. There was no contradiction. They're very similar. Now, that's a case where even someone who's very scholarly could be wrong, and I had to go and then correct that when I because I trusted the harmony and was wrong about things I said. And so, even as a pastor, I have to I need the body to be able to help me in correcting me if I say things wrong or if, I, if I'm understanding things wrong. Every one of us, um, and this may surprise some folks, but every one of us are wrong in our theology, <laughs> okay? We just don't know where. I mean, if you guys know Matt Slick from karm.org, he and I have debated each other more than anybody else. We've done more formal debates with each other. And the reason people ask us is to debate is because we get along very well. We, we disagree on a lot of different areas. It's helpful and educational folks. We do do name calling, but that's more in, the, in this line of that we're really good friends. <laughs> but here, here's the thing. Someone is, was asked, they, why is it we debate each other so often? And Matt had a really interesting thing response. He said, look, Andrew and I both know we're wrong in our theology. We don't know where. If we knew where, we'd change it. And when we sit at the feet of Christ, he's going to correct us. But because neither of us are so prideful to think we got it all right, 
we can have these disagreements, have these discussions, and know, you know what? The other guy may have a good point, and I might learn something from him. Hmm. That uh, Harmony of the Gospels, is that the Thomas and Gundry one? No, uh, it okay. is. Um, I'll say because that one's like right above my head. I think it, that that's it right there <laughs> in my on my bookshelf. But it's, it's the one a by uh, in there. Archibald Robertson. Oh. Ah, At Robertson. Ken's got that one somewhere. I think I do. <laughs> I think <laughs> I do. I'm basically going to have an article on it where we're basically what I laid out is what each of the passages hat state the similarities and the differences between them, and then why it's not a contradiction of the two two days versus six days. Gotcha. Well, uh, you're not just a local church pastor. You're also very much engaged in apologetics and evangelism. Uh, you've written books on these things. And so as we think of hermeneutics now transitioning outside of the local church and thinking about apologetics and evangelism with the world, what role does a sound hermeneutic play in those kind of conversations? Well, you know, as someone who does open air evangelism, I would stand on the street corner. Uh, this is BC before COVID um, for 13 years. <clears throat> I would go to union square uh, sometimes weekly and just stand up on a box and proclaim the truth of God's word and, and preach the gospel to people. And in doing so, <clears throat> what ended up happening was people would all the time, well, what about this? The Bible says this. And what I would just do is say, well, okay, let's back up a few verses. And it's, it's, it's really quite interesting how many people, all you have to do, read the context, and suddenly everybody in the crowd goes, oh, yeah, that's not saying that. Right? You take a verse out of its context, and you can make it sound what, whatever you want it to. But when you read it within the context— so, as, a, as an open-air evangelist, I used to stand up in the corner, in the street corner and do this. And we had a guy that used to work for our ministry, and I didn't know this for years later. He was in Word of Faith when he started listening to me on Saturday mornings. And he'd come each week, and each week he'd hear me do this. He ended up going to church and going, you know what? I'm going to do that same thing that guy in the, on the street was kept doing. And he'd read the passages that were preached in context, and all of a sudden he realized— my church is teaching opposite to what the Bible's actually saying. And he left the word of faith, went charismatic. He saved himself through his own evangelism. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, what he did was he started to learn the importance of reading in context, right? Mm. And as an evangelist, as an apologist, this is what I do. I mean, we just, I, on my show, Apologetics Live, that we do, it's a live show. Anyone comes in, but this last week we did a formal debate on the topic of Calvinism is useless and dangerous. Okay, let's deal with that. What did I do? He, he was bringing up questions. You know, who is, who is the world in John 3.16? What did I do? I read John 3.16 to 18. He wanted to ignore 17 and 18 because it didn't fit with what he was saying, right? This is why people say, ask me sometimes, like, do you get nervous debating? And I've said the reason I'm not nervous when I do formal debates is because I understand hermeneutics. And as long as I'm sticking with what the Bible actually says, I'm fine. And if someone f corrects that interpretation, then guess what? They're right, and I learned from this debate. But whatever they throw at me, all I'm going to do is apply the same principles to any text of Scripture. And using those principles, I'm now going to be able to give an apologetic for the faith. And so debating is something where, you know, yeah, there's an art to it, 
it, it is something there's a skill level in doing it growing up jewish we would sit around the dinner table and that's just what we would do so i don't have the emotion that people nowadays on social media have when, when they get into debates but it's about sharpening skills about learning from someone else but when i go into these debates i'm just going what does scripture say that's what i'm looking for mm-hmm. and so that's hermeneutics it's going to be able to give you a situation where you can walk into any discussion where they're challenging the scripture and i can say well this is what the scripture says and here's why that's what apologetics really is now i'm gonna i'm gonna throw something to you and uh i don't know how we'll see we'll see how this goes but well it'll be hard for me to catch it through the camera that's true uh, have you have you ever met uh, Jeff Durbin in person? Yes. Have you inter- uh, have you ever interacted with him about his uh, claims about the uh, importance of essentially what is partial preterism when it comes to um, uh, Jesus's words about this generation will not pass away and how critical that is for apologetics? No, mo- most of our conversations have been elsewhere. I mean, we've had. Can, can you several, but... explain that whole thing, Ken? Yeah. So when Jesus is talking, uh, I, I believe it's Matthew twenty-four when he's talking about you know the, the a lot of things, the trouble and tribulation that's going to come upon the world, and he says this generation will not pass away until these things are fulfilled. And the question is, okay, well, who is this generation, and how do we understand that phrase? And Jeff Durbin's argument is that's actually a really important apologetic point because if you take what is our position, uh, a, a premillennial position of, of the return of Christ, then you have a hard time reckoning with Jesus's words there, and then uh, it just messes up apologetics. But if you take his position, which is a, a post-mill uh, partial preterist position, then it fixes it, and it's, it's good for his apologetics. So is, is, is that an argument that you've interacted with at all, Andrew? Uh, not with him, no. But I, I mean, I recently preached through that in going through Mark. And when you look at the, this generation, uh, so this I'm looking at right now, Mark, uh, 13 verse 30, truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things are take place. So the question is, what is the, this generation, right? Mm -hmm. This is hermeneutics, right? And according to Jeff Durbin, there's only one legitimate answer to that. Well, (laughs) I, I agree with him. There is only one legitimate answer, right? So how do we know if he's right? Well, I'm going to start in verse 24, read the context where he starts to explain all the things that are going to be happening in these in this great tribulation that he starts talking. And after the tribulation, all these things are going to happen. And then verse 29, even so to you, when you see these things happening, recognize that he is near at the door. So verse 29 tells us when you see these things happening, this generation will not pass away. So the, the generation that sees those things happening, that generation will not pass away until the things are complete. So that's, we would say, a seven-year tribulation. Well, that generation is going to see seven years. So the, this generation refers to the people that we end up seeing in verse 28, the people that see these things happen. So the way I, I would interpret that is the people that see the things that, are, that he's describing, this great tribulation, once that starts, you have one generation until it's complete. So I would say that that generation, this, even though we've seen tribulations, nothing like what's described, we haven't seen that yet. But mm-hmm. if we're alive when that starts, then we're going to be that generation that sees it through. 
Now, now notice how I'm, I'm doing that. I know that the popular way of looking at it is the generation that Jesus was speaking to. Right. But right. that's not what he's saying in verse 28. So I can't take 29, separate it from verse 28. And, and this is an important thing for a lot of people to remember. The Bible verses weren't added for seven to 800 years. The Bible was never meant to be written or read, you know, one verse at a time. It, it was meant to be read as a book. And that's the mistake that we often do is just to grab a verse by itself. Let me, let me tell you a very, because, you know, Jeremy, you said you wanted to be practical. I will give you the most practical thing I did in helping me in my theology. Uh, I remember, and don't hate on me, but I remember reading Ryrie's Basic Theology um, when, when I was a new believer. I know some people no hate really, here. Some people really don't like Ryrie, uh, but it was a very easy to read book. If you read one chapter a day, it takes you about four and a half months to get through. Here's what I did. And they're also, I mean, I think the longest chapter is six, six pages, mm -hmm. but the average, they're like three pages. Okay. So it's, it's not a lot of reading, but every time he mentioned a verse, I would stop, I'd go get my Bible. I'd read the entire chapter. Hmm. And so instead of just reading a verse that's quoted or cited I would go read the entire chapter and get the context. That helped me more than I think anything else in my study is to get the practice of never reading. And this is, this is a line that comes from Greg, a friend of mine, Greg Kokel, is never read a Bible verse. Read the chapter, read the context. And so, you know, if, if Jeff and I sat down, I would work through the context of that. I'm not familiar enough with Jeff's view, but I am familiar with the view that many hold to that it's the generation that Jesus was speaking to. But I think the context offers a different solution. Yeah. Maybe we could uh, line up a, an Andrew Rappaport and Jeff Durbin. Uh, well, that'd be fun. All of that discourse <laughs> uh, discussion. That'd be, that would be fun. That would be fun. Well, but and that kind of leads into the the last section of our conversation today about these intramural type conversations that we have with other believers who have a different hermeneutical approach, and it can be really difficult to know when to push the gas pedal and when to pump the brakes in these types of conversations. So you're talking covenant theology versus dispensationalism, Calvinism versus all the forms of non-Calvinism, uh, eschatology debates. I mean, charismatic stuff. What's the place of hermeneutics in those conversations? And how do you know when you need to push your brother in Christ, uh, on, on said issues? Now, you, you skipped the ones that we're really dealing with these days. I mean, if you, you thought you'd mention homosexuality versus non, but I mean, the real ones we have to deal with is vaccinated or not, masked or not. I mean, come on, those are... Uh, yeah, that's we, right. We have churches being that literally are being separated now. You, uh, you just made an alert pop up on our, when we post and share this. They, they talk about <laughs> vaccines in this video. <laughs> but the thing is, we, we do have churches that are splitting over things like, do you support Black Lives Matter or not? Mm-hmm. Will you vaccinate or not? Will you wear masks or not? I mean, they're they're literally having churches splitting over these issues. So you look at some of the issues you've mentioned, and there's not as much infighting within a church. There's infighting on social media, but we're seeing infighting now within churches over different issues. And we have to sit there and say, okay, where are we going to get our answers? Well, it's going to come from Scripture. Now, and those are pre-hermeneutic issues, though. I mean, masks and... Uh, the jabs and all that stuff, 
those aren't addressed explicitly by scripture. And so if someone wants to make, make it a primary issue as though it is, okay, scripture says my position, well, that person isn't even opening the word of God because that person's, uh, let me disagree for a second, because where are they going to turn? They're going to, you get people that are turning to like Romans 13, obey the government. And so now you're getting into a discussion of how do you interpret Romans 13? Right. Yeah. And, and so it becomes, and I, as I preach through first Peter, well, I'd say very few are actually going that direction. I had in mind more of the people who, well, I'm just believing the scientists. I'm believing the, the people who are on the talking heads or whatever, and this is what we should do. It makes logical, reasonable sense. That's, I think a, a, there's a large group of people who are that way. Um, there, there but there definitely, there definitely is a conversation within that conversation of people who are looking at what does First Peter 2, what does Romans 13 say about the way that we should interact with a government when they come out with certain mandates? Uh, that type of conversation definitely hermeneutics plays you, a role. Are you loving your brother? Are you loving your neighbor? Right? I mean, those all those things come up. But w- what we end up looking at is, you know, I mentioned earlier, right, Matt Slick. Matt Slick's Presbyterian. I'm Baptist. He's covenantal. I'm dispensational. He believes in infant baptism. I don't. Uh, he believes that the gifts could continue to today. I don't. We, we have all these differing things, and yet we're we're like best friends. How how could that be, right? In in the way in social media ways, well, part of it is that we both know that each other has their way of interpreting things, and we're consistent within our system. So, for example, I went to uh, the UK to do some uh, to do an event over over in the UK, and there were a bunch of guys some guys I had never met before. And we went out the first night, a couple of us went out to go get some something to eat. And there was a guy who was, you know, talking, he wanted to, because I'm dispensational, that must mean I'm, I'm, you know, the only thing I talk about is premillennialism in his mind. And so he, cause he literally says, so you're dispensational. So let's talk about the end times, your, your premill view. Mm-hmm. Right. And I went, well, dispensationalism, the hermeneutic, it's just the, the, the end times view is a byproduct of a consistent mm-hmm. hermeneutic. That's all. I said, that's not what dispensationalism is. <laughs> but we start getting into differing views with things. And what I started doing is I said, okay, back up from your conclusion. How did you get there? And so what I started to ask him is, what is his interpretation? How's he dealing with certain passages? And work through that. And so the end of it, I said, listen, I, I disagree with how you're interpreting it. I would interpret it this way. I said, but I see how you're interpreting it. I see that you're consistent with, because of the way you're approaching this, you're coming to a consistent conclusion. So I can respect that how you got to the conclusion, but I disagree with it this way. That is what we want to do. I mean, I spoke at a Presbyterian church. They, we had a guy come in. He sees me at the pulpit, so he approached me. He, and he literally says, hey, I grew up Baptist. I'm I've, first time ever being in, the, in a church in, in, I forget how many years. But he goes, what would this church teach different than my church would have growing up being Baptist? And so I said to him, well, listen, I'm Baptist. So I would, I would disagree with the ch- ch- this church's teachings. But let me explain to you how they come to the conclusion, where they, where they arrive to that. And we got done, the pastor, we got to lunch, and the pastor said, Andrew, I got to tell you, son, I wish people in my church understood Presbyterian baptism as well as you, a Baptist, just explained it. He was like, that was beautiful. And, and of course, he said, why are you not 
you know, believing in Presbyterian baptism. I said, because it's wrong. <laughs> and you can't say it's not because I don't understand it. <laughs> but we, we have to be able to understand each other's position. Maybe not agree with it, but but be able to argue for it. And, and that's missing, especially in social media today. Do you think there's room for that in the how we respond to government mandates conversation where people can take a view of Romans 13, 1 Peter 2 that's different than yours and say, look, if they're requiring it, we should submit to it. Uh, can we say, you know, they there's a it's a legitimate, consistent system. We can respect that even though we disagree. Yeah, I mean, I've I've people who've watched our first Peter classes with Grace and Truth Bible Church. Uh, we, we've had people that have had a lot of interesting discussion on that because you're going through, as you mentioned, first Peter two, that comes up, how far do you obey the government? And it, it is interesting because one of the things I said is we have to look at what is the law in this country, right? In this country, the law is the constitution. The law is not what the president declares as a mandate. And so if he declares something that is opposition to the Constitution, the actual law of the land is the Constitution. So we're in a very different boat. We're also in a different boat because we have a legal system that allows us to protest and challenge and sue the government in these ways. So when you look at Romans 13, 1 Peter 2, we're looking at a culture where they didn't have that right. When the emperor decreed something, that was it. We're not in that culture. So we first have to evaluate the text in its cultural setting. What did it mean to the people at that time? Now, if you and I were in China, I would probably take a different stance than I would here in America. Because in China, the law of the land for, for wearing a mask, and now I'm going to say wearing a mask is not against Scripture. You're not going to see anywhere in Scripture where it says you should not wear a mask. Okay. We with unveiled face. <laughs> <laughs> I would say that's a stretch. Yeah, it is. <laughs> but, 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 but say you're making that case and then someone says, well, look, I mean, it also says that um, we shouldn't make acts of war. We, we shouldn't go into war without approval from Congress, votes from Congress. And we make acts of war all the time and go to war with these special powers that have been given to the executive branch that kind of bypass the constitution. We see that with other things and you don't make a stink about that. You don't make a big deal about that. Um, so look, how consistent are we? I'm just, I'm just going to say, look, if the government's requiring this, I'm just going to submit. Would you be able to live in peace with that person and say, okay, yeah, that's a, that's a fair enough view, and you have your view and I have mine, or are you going to press it more? I guess if, if we have a president who just declares war without Congress, uh, I'm not going to sit there and say that it's part of Romans 13, right? I'm not, uh, because I don't have... Lots of Christian soldiers have. Because uh, they go off to war without congressional approval of war, right? Um, and we're not saying, "Wow, look at those guys just rolling over." Well, but the, and they could. They, I mean, there could be an argument there where they could push back. Now, uh, again, in that case, there's certain rules in military that would be different for you and I, right? So, for example, in the military, there's question whether the military has the right, and it, it seems that the law of the land is that the military does have the right to require vaccinations for the military but yet they don't have that right for you and I. Now, that's if that's what the law is, then then obey, for Romans 13 would be, this is what we accept. When we sign up for this, this is what we accept. And we have a military that you volunteer for, so you're volunteer, voluntarily giving up certain rights 
that you have. For example, the military cannot speak out against the commander in chief. Now, I, I only seeing that get applied when Democrats are commander in chief. I never see that being applied <laughs> when it's a Republican, but uh, but that is that is part of that. And so, when you sign up, you're accepting that. And if you can't live under that, then you shouldn't have signed up, right? Because that is the law there. And so the way we end up applying these things comes into play. The way that we're going to evaluate our, you, we mentioned separation uh, earlier, right? So are we going to separate with a brother because they're Presbyterian versus Baptist, speaking in tongues versus believing they ceased, uh, you know, end time, different end times. I mean, you go through all the different things. I mean, Calvinism versus Arminianism, right? I mean, uh, having done this debate, this week, I, I have so many people that are sending me things saying that Calvinism is a cult. I mean, the guy actually said I wasn't saved because of my beliefs. And and yet the irony of it is when I went through and asked him every one of the things using scripture, he agrees with all five points. He just doesn't know what they are. <clears throat> now, what you end up seeing is we have people who misrepresent other people's positions. That's very common. And Maybe it's my upbringing, maybe it's my seminary training, but in both cases, uh, I was taught to understand the other side of an argument. And so one of the things we have to do is recognize that people don't come to their conclusions in a vacuum. And so we need to know why they came to the conclusions they came to before we start saying they're wrong and understand that process because typically it's something wrong in the process. Okay, the guy I debated on Calvinism, he couldn't define Calvinism other than tulip. He was saying it was useless because when he shared, when I, he even said I agree with him, because when I share the gospel, I never teach anyone about tulip. Hmm. Well, I'm like, look, there's a difference, but there's a whole lot of things I don't teach someone when I'm sharing the gospel. I don't teach about the rapture or the Trinity or a whole lot of other things. I don't teach about apologetics. I don't, you know, there's a lot of things I don't teach when I'm sharing the gospel, right? We don't. That doesn't mean it's useless. But he, what is he doing? He's saying if you don't, if you don't teach tulip when you share the gospel, that makes it useless to the gospel. Hmm. That's that. Like now, what am I dealing with? I'm not dealing with his argument. Calvinism is useless anymore. I'm now dealing with the argument that he, that basically how he comes to that conclusion. Well, you're misdefining words. Is the meaning? of what's behind TULIP necessary. Is it important to teach someone that they're they're dead in their sins, that they can't save themselves, that Jesus is God, that Jesus has to bring them to, to a knowledge of himself, that Jesus is, is that we come to repentance? Is, is that what we're going to teach in the gospel? Yes. So when I share the gospel, I'm going to bring the teachings of that, but I'm not going to explain TULIP. I've never done that. But what's he doing? It's a, it's a fallacy of equivocation that he had an error with, and I'm trying to point that out. See, that's the problem we have online is people come to conclusions, and they don't even try to listen to understand what the other side is saying or how they came to those conclusions. And when we get there, we can usually find where either someone has an error in their thinking or they're at least being consistent with their thinking, and we disagree with how they approach it. But ultimately, it we got to return the conversation in all those disagreements, in all those places to 
uh, either applying, whether it's a theological issue where it comes back to hermeneutics and how we are interpreting a text and, and whatever presuppositions might be in place, or if it's a practical issue, the hermeneutics that lead to particular principles that are getting either applied or misapplied in a variety of circumstances, ultimately these things come back to some level of hermeneutical issues as we're studying and trying to seek to do theology and, and live life practically. Yeah, I mean, look, go and watch James White debates where, where he's debating other Christians. I mean, look at like a James White Leighton Flowers debate. What do you see? James White walks through a text of Scripture, right? It's like, let's understand the meaning of this. And Leighton Flowers gives you all these illustrations, and he doesn't deal with the text. Or he'll, he'll jump off of one text to some other text and go, oh, well, let's look at, well, no, let's stop and examine the context. You will see this over and over again in, in debates where you'll, ha you'll have sometimes a person who is just, what does the text say? And another person going, how can I use the text to say what I want it to say? Those are two very different extremes. And yet, unfortunately, what we see with a lot of people, they go to the latter. They have a is conclusion, and they want the scripture to support it. Is it possible on an issue such as, you know, that you're using James White and Leighton Flowers, so we'll just say Calvinism. Is it possible on an issue like that for both sides to recognize that uh, they're ignorant in certain areas, they're certainly fallible, and that even though they're pretty convinced of their own position, they can see it as a secondary issue and live at peace with one another and even go... Uh, fellowship in the same church uh, and to have harmony there without driving each other nuts? Yeah. I mean, well, let me give you a great example of that. Um, I mentioned Matt Slick earlier. Matt Slick is a hardcore Calvinist, okay? His pastor is not. He goes to a Calvary chapel. Now, here's the irony. His pastor years ago used to be on the radio before him. So his pastor one day was on the radio talking against Calvinism, and then right after him comes Matt. And so he gets a question, and they, you know, because Matt has a call-in show. The guy calls in, and it's talking about the last guy on the radio who had this anti-Calvinist view and wanted Matt to answer. And Matt goes, "Well, that guy's actually my pastor," <laughs> you know. And he goes, and, and so Matt preaches at that church. So here you got two guys on a view like that. They're very opposite, and yet they fellowship in the same church. Matt speaks at that pulpit, you know. Now is Matt going to teach Calvinism from that pulpit? Probably not out of respect to his pastor, but do they, do they know where each other differs? Yeah. You know, and Matt serves in that church, no problem. Right. And they have big differences like that. So a, a lot of it's going to come down to one word pride. Hmm. Cause that's really what's at stake here. I mean, are we, is our pride such that we must be right? Because if we must be right, then yeah, there's going to be problems. Because if you have two people that must be right, they're going to bang heads. You know, my debate on Calvinism this week, what, what everyone noticed was my opponent must be right, and I was trying to expose where he had error. And that ends up coming off it from a debate perspective. Everyone, the number one comment I got from everyone was, man, you are so patient. And I'm going, no, 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 no. I kind of lost patience a couple of times, right? But it it doesn't appear that way. Why? Because this guy's attitude was so full of pride that that came through and everyone else was so upset with him. You know, I had one friend uh, who actually said he couldn't watch the whole debate because he was too busy yelling at the screen <laughs> because it, it becomes frustrating when you see someone act pridefully that way. And 
this is the thing that you see online a lot where people do not take the time to understand one another. They don't try to listen to one another. They tell you what you believe. I, I had a woman who told me that, you know, my belief in Calvinism means that I believe that we have no will whatsoever and God determines everything. God forces me to sin. And I said, I don't believe that. And then she told me some other things I believe. And, and I directed her to my doctrinal statement. I said, look, go to strivingfortraining.org and you can read. I got like a 10, 12 page doctrinal statement out there and you could read what I believe. And she literally told me that I'm hiding my beliefs. Hmm. Now I've learned back then, this was like nine, 10 years ago. And I decided when someone tells me they know what I believe better than me, I mean, I think one of the two of us is the authority on what I believe. And I don't think it's you, <laughs> you know, I think I know better what I believe, especially when I've documented it, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and put it out on the internet for all to see, uh, you know, now on, on my rap report podcast, we're actually going through that doctrinal statement and we're going bit by bit to show the importance of a doctrinal statement and all the stuff that's that it argues against as well as argues for. And yet, what do you have? Even with all that, and I directed someone recently to those podcasts, and people are like, well, that's not really what you believe. Now, when you're dealing with that, you're dealing with someone that's just not being reasonable. So if I get to that point with someone, Jeremy, I wash my hands, I'm done with them. Right? There's, there's nothing I can say. If someone is going to tell you, like, if I'm going to tell you, Jeremy, you actually believe in post-millennialism. And you're like, no, dude, look, like, look here, look at the papers I've written, look at all my podcasts. I go, no, this is what you believe. There's nothing you're going to tell me that's going to correct my thinking. Once I come to the conclusion that I'm going to ignore all facts and logic, and I'm going to hold to this conclusion. At that point, you're dealing with someone unreasonable. And the best thing to do is then walk away. Now, if you're in the same church, I wouldn't have those discussions. Don't keep poking the bear. But you can, you can still have, you know, relations. I mean, look, I have relations with family that aren't saved. And any talk of Christianity, being from a Jewish home, any talk of Christianity is being a traitor. And so it, it can turn violent, literally, and it has. So, you know, it's a thing where, okay, I, I love my family. I'm going to get together with them. I'm just not going to talk about Christianity. Uh, we're not going to talk politics. You know, we're going to avoid these things. Do I have to bite my tongue when, when things are said? Sure. You know, uh, be, but I'm more interested in their case with the gospel. So I'm going to try to be a good testimony, but can I still get along with them? Oh yeah, we can get along on a whole lot of different topics. And I'm going to always be looking to share the gospel. And there are times over the years that I've had that opportunity, but I don't have to fight every issue every time. Yeah. Very good. Well, um, do you have any other comments or things, Jeremy, that we need to address before we wrap things up here? We wrap, wrap up, up with Mr. Rappaport as we do theology to the glory of God. <laughs> no, no, I don't think so. I mean, it is a, uh, it's a constant, uh, I don't know. Her hermeneutics is one of those things that as long as you're alive as a Christian, you'll be dealing with it. Mm -hmm. And the implications are many, but going back to what we discussed at the beginning, I think is just so important. 
and putting the horse before the cart and making sure that you are diligent as a Christian to study the Word of God for yourself, to think for yourself, and to develop your theology from Scripture instead of imposing your theology onto Scripture. That's a temptation for all of us, especially as we grow in our faith, as we get our own doctrinal statements together. It can be so tempting to just say, well, this is what I believe, and so this is what Scripture teaches. Well, we always want to challenge ourselves because... The Word of God is infallible. The Word of God is inerrant. Our own thoughts are not. So, um, yeah, those are those are my concluding thoughts. Andrew, you got any concluding thoughts? Well, I mean, I'd first say thanks for having me on. It's a privilege. I mean, I know that we we are community members in the Christian podcast community, uh, along with like 40 other podcasts. <laughs> but, uh, you know, it, it's always a joy to work with you guys. Uh, I love I love your podcast. I listen to it. I've been I've really enjoyed this series that you guys did. As someone who hermeneutics is the, is the core of of the, our ministry at Striving for Eternity, when you guys said you announced this, I was really looking forward to it. Um, it, it. It's been a great series. I know you got a couple more episodes that I haven't heard yet, and so I'm I'm anxiously waiting for them. But uh, it, it's it's good to see the way you guys are handling this. The, you know, if, Jeremy, I know you've been on my podcast before. We talked about the chart that you guys have. And, and this is the thing is how we go about doing these things. We, we, we're going to study scripture because we love God. We want to know him better. That's the thing. If, if we're not going to do that, if we're going to be lazy and just say, well, I'm going to take what someone else says about something, I'm going to read a commentary and just or listen to some preacher, and that's going to be the answer. I don't care who that preacher is. John MacArthur is wrong in some areas, okay? I, I, th- I think he's wrong in a couple areas that I could name, right? But he would think I'm wrong in those areas. One of us is wrong, and when we get to heaven, we'll figure out where. But even someone who, who I'm so closely aligned with, we would disagree on some areas, and one of us is going to be wrong. And so, Or both. Yeah, or both. I mean, look, right now, a man like R.C. Sproul agrees with me and all my theology, right? And when, when we all get to heaven, you'll, you'll all agree with me now. <laughs> but, but the point is that when we get to heaven, we all, we all will agree. We're all going to be corrected. But we can have these disagreements. But for me, when we have disagreements, like before we aired, we got into a discussion where we're differing views of, of a text of Scripture. And what do we do? It's, hey, we can learn from one another. Instead of trying to prove how right we are, that's prideful, we can take the position of saying, how can we learn from one another? And that's what, what I think we want to do in, in the greater body of Christ. Amen, amen. Well, to our listeners, if, if this is the first episode in our Hermetic series that you've listened to, we'd highly encourage you to go back and listen to the previous episodes we've done. We've had some great interviews and some great conversations through that. And if nothing else, you'll just learn more about our perspective. So I uh, encourage you to do that. And uh, for those that might have comments, we encourage you to reach out to us. You can find us on Facebook, facebook.com slash theology, twitter.com slash theology at theology is our handle. Uh, you can email us at show at theology.com. I'll give you another way they can contact you. Go to christianpodcastcommunity.com, go to shows, find Do Theology, and at the bottom is a contact page that will get emailed uh-huh. to the guys that do theology. There we go. Fantastic. Well, until next time, Jeremy, this is the part where you do your things. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. Do theology. There we go. Yeah, there we go. Yeah. Our, our guest sign up. Perfect. Very good. Excellent. <laughs>
I pay attention. <laughs> <laughs>